0: Well, this is what gets me in trouble. I have said such a thing in, in these types of forums before, and I got in trouble because my mom heard it. Someone asked me, how did you get this mental health center built? And I said, well, a lot. <laughs> because if you tell the truth, you're, you're not, it's not easy to get people to understand.
1: See something that is not right, not fair, not just. You have to do something.
2: Welcome to PBN. I am your host, Braden Gall. I'm Jamie Holland. And with us in studio for, let's call it a special session edition uh, of the podcast, is Sheriff Darren Hall, of course, the youngest in the history of Davidson County and the longest running in the history of Davidson County. Uh, Sheriff, thank you so much for coming in and giving us some time today. Thank you very much, happy to be here. So we're gonna start, we're gonna have a lot of conversations about sort of the mental health crisis uh, that we have in the state right now and, and what can be done about it, what you're doing about it. So we're gonna get into all of that, but let's, let's widen the funnel here, bring some people in first. Uh, do you consider yourself law enforcement? By the court's definition, we are a part
0: of the law enforcement community. We do not make criminal arrest. Okay. And then there's a there's a distinction there for for reasons that are important for oh god I can get into it but uh, we do not make criminal arrests we do not do investigations of crime in this
2: community uh, once the charter was formed in '63. You're an elected official, and again, for the layman out there, the the basic the most basic job description and difference between police department and the sheriff department. Yeah,
0: and, and you just did one thing that I'd like to correct. It's not the <laughs> sheriff's department, it's the sheriff's office because it is elected. And the reason that's important is to help people understand that the police, any department is typically appointed by a mayor or appointed by official. Anything with office after it typically is an elected position. And I just think that's healthy for people to understand. Um, believe it or not, you have to elect a sheriff. It's in the state constitution. You can't do away with it. You really can't even take the duties away. Uh, we've had some council members and some mayors over the year try to tinker with the duties that we that we have legally you can't do that because the constitution sets that out so so the job is elected because it's in the constitution you must do that in 1963 the voters basically said we do not want duplication in law enforcement and in schools this has been in courts for many years i've had this issue a lot and so what, what, what that really means is that the police and sheriff's office cannot overlap and do the same function Legally, um, tomorrow morning, if the chief of police and I shook hands and said, we're going to take over burglaries, uh, we could do that under some MOU agreement. Legally, you can do that. Clearly, that's not in the best interest. And so what we've done over the years, and I think the way it operates pretty well, is the criminal arrests and investigations are all handled by the Metro Police Department or federal government. There's a few other ancillary police places. We do not make arrests. We do all civil law enforcement or civil enforcement, if you will. That is divorce, garnishments, orders of protections, evictions. Quite frankly, 200000 a year. A lot of that is in the community. You may see us drive, driving around town. People are a little unsure. I get that call about once a day. Hey, what's your guy knocking on the door for? It's usually a divorce or a garnishment or some notification of court. That's happening in the sheriff's office uh, you know, daily. But the primary function, really, of the sheriff here is to house everyone who is in the custody of law enforcement or the courts. And so we sit there in between that, uh, the arrest and the court adjudication. And $110 million budget, 1,000 employees, the third largest part of Metro government, much more expensive to house someone than it is to arrest someone. And so we do a lot of the work that you never see. Um, But but if you wanna simplify it, I think of it this way, that the police are like a drive-through. They drive through, drop the person and the paperwork off and we do everything else until they go to court so the the person lives with us the police are the as you as you well know the arresting agency um but as we'll get into here in a few minutes we live with that person that's under yep. arrest for a long time Yep.
2: well uh, so i i think very pointed questions about that budget about the percent of people that you house that should be housed there or should be pushed into a different category of expertise or situation so we'll get into that but I want to sort of go back long, long, long tail here, 40, 50, 60 years. It seems like there was a push in in the 50s and 60s around understanding mental health and its its uh, application in criminal behavior and just sort of behavior we don't understand. Uh, Do you have a sense in in your long tenure of where we went awry, how it stopped, why it stopped and and sort of the, the momentum now with it coming back? Yeah, Brandon, I, I grew up here in Nashville, um, and I could take you there right
0: now. I, I lived a mile away uh, from what we called Central State Hospital uh, growing up. That was the, the hospital for, as my parents used to call it, for the people who were sick, but they didn't mean physically sick back then. They didn't use those words, but they would say those people are sick. But it wasn't the hospital that maybe the regular person would come and go from. So, so Nashville, just like our country, um, had hos- a hospital the state of Tennessee, but it was located in Nashville, for people who were suffering from some level of mental illness. And our society had viewed that, that when you needed help, we would take you to the hospital, and sometimes you would be institutionalized at the hospital, but you would stay there. In the 60s, um, the country basically said we needed to get rid of that model for two reasons. One was it stigmatized the person, um, uh, you know, for, for being ill and, and so forth. And the country wanted to, to decentralize it, basically put community mental health centers out in our community instead of these large institutions that were hospitals. And so the, the the vision was tear it down, destigmatize it, build smaller, if you want to call it this, smaller community-based mental health systems. And that all sounded good in the 60s. What happened was the Vietnam War, basically the budgeting of the whole thing never got on track. And so I can show you on a map or on, on, a, on paperwork, but Basically what happened was we tore down hospital beds across our country and we built jail and prison beds. Almost bed for bed. It happened in every community. I lived here. I watched it happen but didn't know what was going on. Uh, Nashville here, like I said, we tore down the hospital, I forget, late 80s maybe, early 90s it, by the time it was torn down. Dell Computer now sits there, a major corporation. I'm sure they do great work. I'm not upset about that at all. But what we did was we tore the hospital down and then I have 4,000 jail beds that were built. And so while all that's going on, you built jail and prison beds to replace the hospital beds. Um, and society moved on like corporations and nothing against Dell. I'm just using this as an example that that basically we're now taking the mental health problem and hiding it in a system called yep. the criminal justice system. Unfortunately, we thought we were de- destigmatizing it and deinstitutionalizing it. What you really did was reinstitutionalize the person and double stigmatize them. Now they're criminal and ill. Um, and and not treating the problem, (laughs) no, no, and we're hiding it from you. I mean, jails are the worst place in the world to let the community understand what's really going on.
1: I grew up in West Tennessee and it was called Western state and it was located in Bolivar, Tennessee. Yes, that, that dovetails greatly into a quote you gave in 2001. I gave up on trying to convince politicians and other people that we need money to build a mental health care facility. And I said, quote, give me the money to build a jail because that's what they wanted. But we built what we needed. Well, um, <clears throat> this is what gets me in trouble.
0: Uh, I have said such a thing uh, in in these types of forums before, and I got in trouble because my mom heard it. Um, I, I told, I said that that uh, they, someone asked me, "How did you get this mental health center built?" And I said, "Well, a lot," <laughs> because if you tell the truth, you're you're not. It's not easy to get people to understand and. And whether you're pro or anti, the criminal justice system really isn't as, as tricky as it is to get a, a body of 40 council members and mayors that are turning over left and right as we've gone through, I'm talking about in the last 10 years. Um, you know, I just, I gave up on it. I gave up on, on some ideas that, th- there are a lot of models are out there. There's a model in Memphis uses the, the, the co-response model and as other cities have done things. And, and I've been hearing for over 20 years that Nashville was gonna try to do different things. Keep in mind, that the individual we're talking about lives with us. I mean, we, we see the people eating feces, the police don't see that, the judges don't see that, the council members don't see that, the DA doesn't see that. We see people diving into a toilet, trying to drown themselves. we live it every day. And so, in, in so many ways, what's, what's really wrong is that once the arrest occurs, the public, society, the police, the entities all think it's solved. Yeah. We live watching this person walk into a courtroom pleading guilty or innocent for something they have no idea what they've done. And then we're housing them for 10 or 20 days on a conviction that really shouldn't have happened and putting them on probation when it shouldn't. So in a lot of ways, and I say this a lot, I get in trouble with my peers, but sheriffs in the country are really the enabler because we house and watch it. And if we don't bring forth the conversation, I have a lot of sheriffs that will say, what are we gonna do about mental health? Well, the first thing they do is come out and say, they don't belong here. And we need to, as a system, as a society say, this person needs help.
2: That doesn't mean excusing behavior. We got to fix it and you can't fix it by hiding it in jails what do you have a guess at what percentage of your population would fall into that category of that they shouldn't have been here in the first place great i love this question so um, believe it or not i made up a scale
0: one to ten there is no such scale but i've made this scale up a nine or a ten the highest level of mental health problems are really competency issues they're really incompetent but they're coming to jail by the way in every community in this country and so the nine and ten um definitely doesn't belong in jail legally doesn't belong in jail i'm not a lawyer but i know that much and so there's a whole challenge of how to deal with that and and so let's just put the nines and tens as almost an easy to define competency question is but they're in jails everywhere so you take that percentage off do you you have have a guess of? yeah so it's about 35 percent of the people coming to jail today in this community and most communities are diagnosed mentally ill okay on my scale of one to ten the number's about 35 percent of them it breaks in different ways. Um, for example, that that nine and ten level um, is is a I would say it's about ten percent of the thirty percent. Does that make any yep, sense? So yep. I'm breaking numbers down. I, I knew and believe that that has to be dealt with in a different way. If if there is a man and there is a man here in town who's been arrested over two hundred times, who's assaulted every nurse in Nashville, he's he comes to jail, he gets out, and 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 he's very it's publicly known. The courts really can't deal with him. He's incompetent. We we should declare him incompetent. He needs to be institutionalized. Unfortunately, he's a sixty-plus year old man, can't be treated in a in a treatment center. Can't he's in. and so, the point is that element to our population should never be in jail. Legally, they can't be in jail, but we have it have them there. So there's nines and tens or that that percentage. Then there's a there's a percentage of people who are mentally ill by definition in jails that I call ones and twos on my scale. I was depressed 20 years ago. My girlfriend left me, and I was on medication. So by definition, if you've ever been on medication or been in a hospital for your, mm-hmm. your mental illness issues, then by definition, you fall into this scale. So ones and twos do not need treatment, do not need help, and quite frankly, need to be held accountable for what they did wrong. Right? I mean, if I was depressed 20 years ago, but I also slapped someone in a bar last night, right. that's not the reason I'm in jail. So the ones and twos don't belong, I mean, don't, be, don't need to be taken out of our system. It's really the three to eight. Nines and ten are competency issues. Ones and twos are way lower than what you you need to use as a reason for the the crime. So you take about 20% of the people going to jails today do not belong there. The ones and twos belong there. Everyone else does not. And, And in my theory, and in the 60s, they wouldn't have come here anyway. The ones and twos would have come to jail because it was just a depression issue 20 years ago. But everyone else would never have been in jail in the 60s. And, and we're, we're to the point where there's no alternative to take them. And, and I think we, we get into that. But that's what happens. The police are called. The circumstances as such, that person is naked in the park. The police must do something. There's no alternative. That's indecent exposure by definition, but it's really not the reason he's naked. He's naked because he's been off his
1: medication for six months. How many people in your jail population right now?
0: 2,100.
1: Braden, can you do the math? That? <laughs> well, I got
2: about, Don't make me do that. Two, it's about 250. If it's the 20%, if it's up around 35%. Come on, guys. You guys uh, can do some quick math. I went to school for Three, words. 350, for 350 uh, people, roughly? I mean, I, I think... Uh, y'all didn't tell me we was going to have a math problem <laughs> here.
0: I mean, I, I was doing prep work, at least on mental health.
1: So we've got a mental health court. Yes. And that... That's for hearings for people who have been involuntarily committed to the Middle Tennessee Mental Health Institute, MTMHI, and what are the results that you're seeing from that process? Great
0: question. Can can I go real fast? I've been here 30-something years, 21 years in this selected position. About 10 years ago, uh, as we were electing new judges and so forth, I so happened to be on that ballot, but that was the time the mental health judge had had retired, and so we were opening a vacancy of multiple-
1: Eisenstein?
0: Eisenstein was stepping out, and there was a vacancy, multiple candidates were running to be the mental health judge, and, and and clearly this subject was important to me, and so that office, or whoever won, was important, and so every candidate that came by that was running, I would say, look, will you meet with me the day after the election? And if they said no, I was going to say, well, I'm not helping you or voting for you, whatever, but luckily everyone suggests, Judge Melissa Blackburn wins the election, we meet the next day. I ask every person who declares himself, and I'm joking, but I'm calling myself an expert. I called all the people who thought we were experts, the police chief, the DA, myself, the public defender, the general sessions judge, the criminal judge, everybody you can name. And if you buy lunch in Metro, they'll come back. I bought lunch every month. If you'll come here and meet, I want to talk about mental health. I want to understand what's going on. We should all want to do that. What I learned was the police chief knew how the arrest occurred. The jail knew what we did once they got there. The silos were everywhere. And everybody was had a good heart, but had no concept of what was so screwed up. So I didn't know the answers, but I would ask the questions. I'd say, "What what percentage of people coming to jail today are mentally ill?" That's how we got the data eventually. Uh, why? What's the number one reason? What's the charges that they're coming to jail for? We all ask. I ask everybody around the room, "Philadelphia, what do you think? What is it?" Well, I think it's uh, bad policing, or I think it's uh, public intoxication. I think, no, of the top five charges a mentally ill person comes to jail for, two of them, the top. Two of the top three are not even criminal charges. They're failing to go to court, which we never should have had them going to court, mm. and failing probation, which they never should have been on probation. So what What that led me to understand was a lot of times when the police pull up on the scene of a naked man, they're not even arresting them for being naked. They're arresting the person because there's a warrant pending for something they never should have been asked to do. So if all that's part of the problem, then why in the world or how are we going to get better policing if there's a criminal justice warrant pending somewhere. So I I had all that going on. And so then I I started asking questions. Wait, we've got this mental health court, which I love them. They do great work. I'm a big fan of it. So I said, we house everyone who's mentally ill. We're bringing everyone to court. What percentage of people in my jail are getting in that court called mental health? I wanted to know that because I think it's what society and we have believed was going on. They do great work. 5% of the people who are diagnosed mentally ill get to that court. That means 95% of the other people who we just went through the numbers are ending up in front of a judge who's maybe a good lawyer, who's maybe a good judge, but in, in fairness, does not have a mental health interest or background or they would have run for this seat. So that means they're processing people through courts, doing their job without the filter of mental health. So therefore, they're going on court dates and they're going on probation. So 95% of the people are ending up in the wrong line. And why is that? Part of it's because of the volume. mental health court doesn't have enough room to get, you know, whatever the numbers were today. So I gave up thinking I could get 11 other judges to agree with mental health because this is 10 years ago. What am I going to do about it? I couldn't convince 10 more judges to love mental health and care about it. I don't think I can convince a police department to do different work. And so my thing was I then realized they're coming to me anyway. You're going to bring me people because they have warrants, because they have even if we get the most, what do you call it? Progressive police department in the world to not criminally arrest people, there is a criminal responsibility. You have to bring them to the, to the jail. It's a loop. It is. Yeah. And for, unfortunately, so that led me to go, Well, heck, no matter what we're going to do in Nashville for a long time, there are cases coming back and forth to me. So I kind of got away from, we, we met for over two years, and I kind of got away from the idea of supporting a model like the police are doing now. I think it's great, this co-response thing. If it works, good. Solve the issue in the community. Don't ever bring them to me. Keep in mind, a lot of those people have warrants. A lot of those people are coming to jail anyway. And I didn't want to have a facility, or excuse me, a jail um, that couldn't handle the population I now realize is going to come to me. So in turn, I somewhat lied and built what we needed. And that is what? Yes. Yeah, so we were, I was lucky because about the same time we were looking at the old criminal justice center downtown and, and I wanted to build or repla- replace that facility um, with a detention center booking room that you and I are used to. And so I went to the city council, went to them, I think it was Barry, no, Carl Dean then Barry and here somewhere mayors. And, and I, I went to them and said, uh, here's what we need. We need to replace this building. And so that's what everybody took off thinking, but as I'm telling you, we started to realize there's a segment of our population we don't believe belong there, and I started looking at it like this. I want the police to be Uber. Bring me, not Darren, not the sheriff, bring the agency, the person, and let the assessment of that person's needs from a mental health perspective happen on the front door. Other communities are trying to do that in Prior the field. Prior to process. In the
2: field. At the, fir- the first thing they do when they walk in the door. Right. And, 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 Jamie, there, there's a really
0: important part. We spent a year wrestling with this issue right here. In an ideal world, the person would never be in the backseat of a police car. Right. right. And if we believe it's a mental health crisis, right. don't put it. But I don't believe this city will ever be able to staff crisis counselors in the back seat or front seat of every police car in every precinct in this town. They can't staff it now. And on top of that, if you meet out in Target parking lot, and there's a naked man who stole some guitar out of the car, and the scene is the police are there, and the crisis counselor's there, and the crisis counselor goes, he's, he's schizophrenic and bipolar, he needs help. There's nowhere to send them. There's not a bed. There's not a place to sleep tonight. And so what happens in a lot of communities is the police and the crisis team are out there evaluating, it, and they both kind of agree, needs to go somewhere. Family's tired and worn out, usually doesn't want the person back. So I said, well, why don't we do it this way? Bring us the person. Let the triage of mental health happen on the very front door, ideally before booking. But the law wouldn't let me do that. The law said that if a police detained the person, makes sense, they must have a reason. And the reason was the fingerprints say you're a shoplifting charge. So once you fingerprint the person, the very first thing that happens or the only jail in America that does this, 24 hours a day, the first person you meet, talk to, anything, is a mental health, master's level mental health clinician who's assessing your mental health needs. That's where I was giving you the data of the 1 to 10s. So that assessment is determining, is mental illness what's driving some of the reason you're here? It's not done by a sheriff, a DA, a lawyer, a girlfriend. It's done by a mental health clinician going, hey, they qualify for what we would call diversion. The next big piece of that is, is the DA willing to divert the case because there is now a pending criminal case. And I went and, and surrounded the DA's office back 10 years ago, nine years ago, and said, I need you. I can't do this. I don't have the authority to remove the crime, the, okay. the charge. And so they have worked with me that if the person goes to mental health, no one determines when they go home except mental health. No one determines a treatment plan. You don't have a sentence over there. And the arrest never occurs. Because the DA nollies the criminal activity, which
2: I think is the beauty, or we couldn't do it. It, So it sounds like, and you you were recently quoted about some solutions, and I know Jamie wants to go here as well. And you said, we need strong leadership in critical places to say that we're going to build a mental health system. Mm. And it, it sounds like what you're saying is it's almost impossible to do that before the person, like while the thing is happening, while the incident's taking place, you almost need that master's level clinician to be out in the field, which we, as you've said, is almost impossible to do. Where are those critical places in your vision? It sounds like the DA is one of them. Like, where are the critical places that that we need the strong leadership to, again, I'm assuming this is also a big budget item for you. If 30% of your population is somewhere else, 30% of your budget could be used for something else, right? Or to help those folks. Where... Where are those critical places that we need strong leadership? Great question. The most important one, I think um,
0: it's a, its executive role, right? It's the president, the governor the mayors of, of cities. And here, here's why um, I get in trouble for saying this, too. Um, if I'm telling you 30 percent don't belong, 30 percent of the money doesn't belong with me either. Take the money. If, if you believe if you believe mental health is, a, is what I think it is, a separate issue from criminal justice, take the money out of the criminal justice system that you're using now and I have $110 million, whatever that math adds up to, 30% of it. But what you have to do as a leader is guarantee that that problem, i.e. the mental health crisis, is going to end, coming to you. Right? Because that's what makes everyone nervous. Police chiefs, sheriffs around the country, I've heard a lot of they freak out when they hear me say this. Because they don't trust that the problem would also move that the call would no longer come to the police. And there's a balance you'd have to strike. But it's gonna take someone saying, instead of $110 million going to the sheriff's office for housing, let's move 30 million to that. Takes money from police DA, and I'm just talking about, I'm not talking about staffing levels because I don't understand that. What I'm talking about is you would have to commit to refocusing how, what what a, a crime is and you can do that. We were there in the 60s. I mean, you wouldn't have called the police in the 60s for a naked man. And so you have to reshape how that would look. But the money it, the money shouldn't be our hang up because you would have to have commitment, right? I'm taking DA's money away. Judges, I'm taking money away. Right? Because if we believe probation, if we if we believe that's really what is ha- it's handling mental health, move it out of mental health with a commitment that the money's going, but so too is the problem. And, and I think we would be in a system, you asked me earlier, how many beds? Take the percentage of that away from me, reduce the staffing, reduce the beds, but don't bring me the person who's naked tomorrow. And I think we would get to a system.
1: How, how many of that percentage that is in mental health has mental health problems? What's their kind of median age range? Because the, and the reason I ask, because the calls I'm getting now more and more are talking about kids men and women that are under the age of 25 and so I'm curious like you know I guess a two-part question lawyer you know the median age plus what what's happening to them are they winding up on the streets are they going once they leave your custody are they going back home what what's happening great question so, two things. Our average population, age-wise, I'm going to say
0: is in the 20s, and that, that's the number. It, it would vary depending on what types of charges, as you can imagine, that, that you're getting. Most arrests are in, in, the, in the low 20s period. Well, I have to tell you the story real quick that, that identifies us. So, here I was uh, under the idea of trying to build this mental health thing seven, eight, nine years ago. I'm home. It's a Saturday night, 10 o'clock at night, and I get a phone call. It's a criminal defense attorney here in town. Hey, Darren, uh, do you remember so-and-so, so-and-so? Our kids played baseball together back 20 years ago or 15 years ago. Uh, No, I don't really remember. But, yeah, their kid was on the team. Well, I'm at their house right now, and it was a Saturday night. Um, can, can you help me? He's bipolar. He's off his medication, and and they um, he's thrown his stereo down the steps, and the family's nervous and, and worried about him. And can this lawyer, who's a good friend of mine, who's a good criminal defense attorney, says, can you help me get him to Middle Tennessee Mental Health? Can you help me get him committed or admitted and I said he's a friend I could halfway talk crazy to him I said no I said I've got people in my system who are mutilating himself I can't get them to middle Tennessee mental health yeah. I've got far more severe cases this is never going to happen and so he waited and he goes he calls me back an hour later and says Darren I thought of something hey if we get him arrested this 24 year old kid we get to him arrested he'll be seen by the nurse who knows something about mental health this is nine years ago And i said as a dad of a 24 year old i can't answer that question the answer is yes of course he calls me back an hour later he's in booking can you make sure he's being seen just so you know i reached out to the mom of that person and she met with me for nearly four years as we built this facility and the reality of it was and is families are struggling with what to do with the person who is suffering at all ages young people and so when your choices and by the way years later as I asked her one day how was he doing She was at my office how's he doing and she said he's doing great and he lit she lit up like a you know light bulb really and then she just burst started crying and and I said I'm sorry I'm sorry what and what she said was he's doing great but he can't get a job he has a probation officer he has a criminal history this was back in the day and so her his family had him arrested to be seen by the way at the hands of a criminal defense attorney who was a smart guy so it's where the system is using the criminal justice system to almost get something off the streets or out of the house, and then the jail is a horrible place to try to, quote, treat it. Just to give you the, piece, the last piece of that story, he has been re-arrested since we built the Behavioral Care Center, came in this time. He actually got arrested because his mom is a real estate agent. He saw her name on the bottom of the sign. He went in that house. He thought it was his house. So what do we do? We arrested him. But when they get get him to the booking room, they assess him. He's not going to jail. He goes to the behavior Care Center, and he's treated as for what he needed. Um, Real quick, uh, about 19% of the people who have been in the behavior Care Center have come back. Just so you know, it's about 90% if you're mentally ill and leave jail. So you're comparing the return rate of a 90 to 19. It may go to 90 over here, too. But if you come back today... What you're going to get is mental health treatment you're not going to get a new charge and a new court date and a new collateral damage of the arrest and so our purpose is to provide the care you need not necessarily to resolve i'm talking about my little facility is, is purpose the beauty of it is the next generation of this conversation that building should not be built in the sheriff's budget i shouldn't be lying to people to get <laughs> yeah, it built I, yeah. and so if you built it where it belonged with money that it had I wouldn't have lawyers calling the sheriff at night to figure out how to arrest somebody.
2: Let me be clear on the recidivism there. You're saying a a person who should not be in the jail system, let's call it, is at 90% recidivism. And then if that person ends up in the proper care with the proper treatment and the proper system, we're at 19%. Right. I just want to make sure that everyone heard that number. Very clearly.
0: Yes. If a person who has mental illness is entering the jail, which is in the 35% range, is released from a jail setting, 90% of the time they go back. And just so you know, when they go back, that's not just the arrest you should worry about. What happens then? It's failure to appear, new probation, longer sentences, more expense to me and you, the taxpayer, and them. The collateral damage is huge. So when they go back to the behavioral care center, the only thing that happens Mm -hmm. is, welcome back. Let's get you back on your medication. And sure, it's costing you tax dollars, but the reality of it is... It's an illness, I think. It's not a crime. And
1: how, how many of the population are homeless or unhoused? 22, 23%. So whenever we hear, like, get, get clean up this park, we're really talking about people that have mental health right. issues. Co-occurring yeah. disorder, self-medicating mental health. Tuesday morning, I'm taking my kids to school. We're at Woodland and Fifth, right over here. There's a first person I see at the intersection... I don't know, 50-plus-year-old man. You can tell he's a runner. A man comes up from behind him. I don't know what his housing status is, but I suspect it's not good. He comes up and starts screaming in his face. The runner just backs up out of the way. Next thing you know, opposite corner. Here comes another man carrying two duffel bags and a big backpack, older. When that guy disengaged that situation, this aggressor walked across the street gets in his face, guy drops duffel bags, takes his backpack off. They're getting into, about to get into a fight and my kids are asking what's going on. I look across the way, there's a lady standing on a knee wall with a video camera, taking a video. Well, obviously we know where that call's going to. And so what I'm saying is we're seeing it more and more. Are you hearing more from the general public to say, hey, Sheriff, what's going on? What can we do next? Are you hearing from politicians, mayoral candidates heard last night in a mayoral education runoff debate? You know, they one of the candidates mentioned, hey, we need to get a mental health person in every school. Well, you just told us yeah. you can't even do the basics now. I, that now tells me that that desire is pie in the sky. Yeah. Yeah, I
0: say it like this. Uh, the, the medication, we could have a whole conversation about pharmaceutical world, and I, and I love this part of it. But but the sad part of that is the people who need the medication don't have it. The ones who don't need it have too much of it. And I'm talking about mental health meds. I mean, it, it's all over the map. And so young people, young children, kids um, who need medication probably aren't getting exactly what they need, and that's developing into eventually criminal criminal activity or let's just say Contact with the criminal justice system. Keep in mind, I mean, I've been, I've traveled around the world in, in, in some of these types of work, and no other modern country in the world would arrest a naked man. They wouldn't. If you're naked in Australia or Germany or Rome, Italy today, that's rare behavior. Yikes! Something's off with that person. We do it as nine-one-one yeah. naked man. Take him <laughs> away. It's the way we're conditioned. Our country does it, and so until you flip that. And, and we see it as that person needs help. And, and I, I, people, I have some conservative type of friends who, who hear that and question, what do you mean we can't leave the naked man? I never say that. I believe the accountability is that the illness needs to be addressed. It's not punishment or jail is never going to address something that is something. deeply rooted. It's, 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 not it's, it's a problem. ridiculous way to do it.
2: By the way, that, that, um, the, the people who need the medication don't get it, and the people who you know, don't need it have too much of it. That rolled way too quickly off of your tongue, by the way. <laughs> um, it sounds like you've used that one a few times. And I think people need to hear it again. Um, you've been very gracious with your time. So um, I, I want one more here. You were the head of the National Sheriff's Association. You mentioned that this is one of its only one of the it's the only uh, uh, facility of its kind in the country. Have you seen a response nationally from you, you sort of pitching this or standing for this particular issue with people around the country? Are people starting to catch on?
0: Well, I, I sure hope so and, and this is corny and but it's cool the staff at the at the facility did this on their own They have a map United States. They started putting these push bins of everybody's coming here. It's the coolest looking thing um, I, I jokingly tell the director. He's the highest paid tour guide in America um, he, he does a lot of trying to help educate every I, I, I almost can tell you every major city, but any active organizations around the country. I'm not saying it's the solution either. What makes us different than every other one you're gonna hear about is, we're doing this pre-adjudication, pre-court. I mean, I love judges, they're good people. I don't wanna take these people to court. They don't belong in court. They belong in the hands of mental health. So most other systems go to court and the judge will shake your finger at you and say, 10 days, go over there for treatment. The judge doesn't know how many days you need to be here. I don't know how many days, but the mental health staff do. And so what makes us unique is we're trying to be in front of the, and I use the word decriminalize it, because we don't want the crime, which really wasn't a crime, to affect and impact the person's chance of being successful. So that's what makes us a little unique. What, What I've been pretty satisfied with is a lot of people say, I could never do that. Where'd you get the money? The irony is I took the money you gave me to build something else. I took the money I was going to pay correctional <laughs> officers with and I paid mental health staff. We didn't ask for more money to take on a mental health system. We just took cor- corrections money yep. and built it. So I'd tell my, my colleagues look, don't let that be the roadblock. You don't need a brand new building to do this. Get a warehouse across the street, get it designed where you can take people who don't belong in your jail over there. And maybe, and you guys can maybe push this, that eventually it doesn't need to be sheriffs lying about it. You need to make it where that option, that alternative is, you know, Saturday night, don't call the sheriff at home and figure out how to arrest somebody. And also don't make the police respond to things that, quite frankly, they're not trained or, or oftentimes don't want to be dealing with.
1: So do you think there's any prospects in the special session coming up since item number one deals with mental health resources that the Sheriff's Association is going to be a part of that conversation? I do think that, and you're going to laugh when I say this. This is the only subject in my
0: 34 years I think is bipartisan. I'm serious. I can tell you that I mean Trump had some money back when he was first term that was that was really focused on mental health, mental health and corrections, mental health. And so my point is extremes on this thing. It's not just liberal people who have mentally ill people in their family going to jail. So we, if, if people can have the conversations, it's really not about partisan and get the legislatures and the, the Congress to quit doing it that way. That that subject. I think you can, you can get something done. I mean, I really do believe if you want to talk cost, you can save money. It shouldn't be a corrections budget. Yeah. I mean, to, to build a building to prevent El Chapo from getting out of, to house a <laughs> naked man is an overkill, right? <laughs> I mean, we're building <laughs> jails to prevent people from getting out. Why do you do yeah. that with a naked man? Yeah. And that's uh, where people are doing it.
1: Yeah. It, it's, it's kind of like the, we're dealing with the natural consequences of our behavior.
2: That's exactly right. It's exactly the, right. the logical conclusion to all the decisions was where we are now. And so let's change some of that decision making. I don't know, maybe driven by a core philosophy of treating human beings like human beings. Huh. Just just my thought. <laughs> just my thought. Uh, Jamie, uh, always a pleasure, my friend. Uh, Sheriff, thank you so much for thank coming you. in. We do appreciate it. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Thank my you. name is Braden Gall. Uh, obviously, uh, if you want to scream about something on, on, on the Twitter sphere, this is something to do it about. So (laughs) please thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for hanging out. Uh Rate, review, subscribe, and we'll talk to you next time.